Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you are here today for hardcore church planning. And Peyton, since we don't get to have any smack talk on hardcore church planning, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? All right, but can I sing a bit? Because, you know, we got a musician on here. So here you go. Here's my... Here's my... You, can, you can scat. Be good. Oh, I can't do that. I wish I could scooby doo But, uh, you know, uh, because you're not hardcore, unless you <laughs> plant hardcore, right? That's so, you know, just got to throw it out there. Hey, our guest today is a friend of mine. He's a guy I respect deeply. He is a serial church planner, if anyone is, who has since gone on to become a sending planter. His name is Daniel Fusco. He is the author of the book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. He is a uh, long-term church planner, short-term listener, maybe the first day today. And uh, he also has a podcast uh, where he also interviews church planners. And he's the pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. Daniel, welcome on, man. Guys, how are we doing? Doing good. It's great to be with you guys. Pete? You okay? Don't leave me hanging, bro. Sorry, I, I got construction going on. I, I was <laughs> muting and I forgot you couldn't hear me. So I was making great jokes during your intro, but no one will get to hear them now. So yeah, yeah, so the wait. world will never know. So hey, Dan, uh, thanks for coming on, man. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hand over to Pete here. Hey, I'm happy to be with you guys. I I almost totally forgot what I was supposed to do, Peyton, man. It's been so long since we've done a hardcore. Well, <laughs> Daniel, one of the first things we always like to do when we start out is, since a lot of our audience may or may not know you, we'd like for you to tell everyone uh, your story of how you came to faith and how you got started in church planning. Absolutely. So I grew up uh, in in a super loud uh oppressively loving, uh, all Italian family. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, but everyone came out of New York. So all those kind of stereotypes of like the, the big, loud, obnoxious Italian family, that was my family. And so we kind of grew up, um, I like to say spiritually nominal. I mean, we were kind of culturally Catholic, uh, kind of realistically agnostic. And, uh, and I was just kind of a wild kid. I mean, totally loved. I had, my parents were amazing, great family, um, but didn't know Jesus at all. And, uh, Got into playing music when I was in high school, kind of the, you know, the same old story, you know, the kind of the sex, drugs and rock and roll, which uh, over time made its way into uh, sex, drugs and jazz, improvised music. And uh, what happened for me was when I was in college, I started taking uh, classes on, I wanted to get into religions of the Eastern world because of course, when you grow up uh, nominally Catholic, the last thing you really want to hear about is anything about Jesus. And so, but they ended up sticking me in religions of the Western world. And I remember there, the professor was a reverend doctor. He was actually part, now I would be able to say that he was, you know, I knew he was part of the, the Jesus seminar. Um, I'm trying to figure out what Jesus really did and didn't say. 
Uh, and, um, and he was so like, he worked so hard to make sure nobody believed in Jesus. And, uh, for someone who didn't believe in Jesus, I thought that that was kind of curious because, um, I mean, why does this guy care so much that we don't really believe in Jesus when he's supposed to be a, a, a pastor or reverend or whatever? So that, so a number of things were going on. And um, I had a, a two friends who'd given their lives to Jesus. And, um, and my mother had also gotten sick with uh, terminal cancer. And through all those things and um, a lot of reading of a lot of different religions, I finally got challenged to read the, new, the teachings of Jesus. And when I did, um, this was in my very last month of college. Uh, Jesus met me in a really powerful way. And, uh, and I, and I, and I became a follower of Jesus. I turned to Jesus and, um, to, to fast forward, I was pursuing a career in music and I felt called into the ministry. And, um, and I went from being a professional bass player, both electric and upright bass to being, uh, like a, a pastoral intern. And then I became like, a a youth leader and then I became a youth pastor and then I became an assistant pastor. And, uh, and my pastor, I'll, I'll never forget, God started really stirring my heart to go back to New Brunswick, New Jersey to plant a church, uh, where I'd gone to college at Rutgers university. And, uh, I remember I said, Lord, I'm not going to, I don't want to get involved in like making this happen. So Lord, if this is you, you got to have my pastor come talk to me about that. And about a week later, we we're having Chinese food. And my pastor said to me, you know, Daniel, I just love you as my assistant pastor. And, you know, like, I wish we could do this forever this way, but you know, you're called to preach. And, um, do you want to either plan a church or do you want me to try and find a church for you to be able to take over? And I kind of sat there kind of stunned and just kind of played with my, my, my low main. And, uh, and I finally, I just said, no, I think I'm supposed to go back to New Jersey. I was at this time I was in the San Francisco Bay area. I was, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to go back to New Jersey and plan a church. And I kind of laid out, he got it, give me vision statements and things I was going to try and do. And, uh, he just said, yeah, let me pray about it. And I'll let you know. And he came back to me a week later and he said, God spoke to him that I was supposed to go plant a church. And that's how I ended up being involved in church planning in the first place. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And your sitting pastor was a guy named Joe Foch. Isn't that right? Well, no, I was actually at Calvary Chapel Marin with, um, his name is John Henry Corcoran. So he's not there anymore. He's, he's been in Calvary Costa Mesa now, uh, again, for the last about 10 years. And so he was my sending pastor. Oh, very cool. You know what? This is kind of a weird connection. I used to go speak at Calvary Marin uh, under the pastor before John Henry. So, Oh, really? Funny. Yeah, very funny. Well, Little world, huh? That's right. So, Daniel, you know, it's really interesting because you wrote this book, honestly, getting real about Jesus and our messy lives. And it actually, a lot of this comes out of your journey, doesn't it? I mean, you say in the book, there are two universal truths for every person who has ever walked this planet. Life is messy. Jesus is real. Tell us a little bit about the book. You know, so the book I wanted to write, it's not its not specifically for like for church planning, but it has everything ties over for me. And so like in the ministry, um, as a church planner, every church planner knows, man, church planning is messy. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we come up, we have this plan. We're like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. It's going to be amazing. And then like, you know, the first service, everything goes wrong, you know? And like, I remember as a young church planner, I just like, I, I had coming up as a, as a, as a pastor, I got so much affirmation from, from the people of God about the gifts that God had placed in my life. And, and I remember just being like, okay, I'm going to go to New Jersey. We're going to take this hill. It's going to be crazy. You know, there's going to be hundreds of people there. And, uh, yeah, that never happened really, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then you go and it's like your Christmas service 
and uh, you know your sound guy bells and your worship leader ate too much on you know the day before Christmas Eve, and uh, and the PowerPoint's busted, you know, <laughs> and, and so it's like, oh yeah, great Christmas, great, you know, and so, um, so so I wanted to write the book as a as kind of a, a hopeful call to people to say that we don't want to divorce Jesus from the messes of our lives, but we want to see him working in and through the messes of our lives to form himself in us and through us into the world. Cause I think I, I just noticed so much as a pastor that people want to say when anything good happens, they praise God. And when anything bad happens, they blame the devil and don't get me wrong. It's like the devil does a bunch of stuff, but uh, Jesus, I mean, the cross was the, the messiest thing that ever happened in history and God redeemed it and brought mm glory out of it. And so I wanted to help not only the people here at Crossroads and the people that I know and who I get to minister to, but people across the board to be able to see Jesus as uh, working grace and peace in the midst of the mess. And so that's why I wrote it. And it's been really encouraging. I've gotten so much beautiful feedback. I mean, the negative feedback I get actually makes me happy because people say it's so conversational. You know, like I, I don't want to write a book that only you need to be in church for a certain amount of time to understand. I wanted to write like a normal book for normal people about, yeah. about God's amazing grace. And so I wrote it conversationally. Yeah. Like I wrote it with bad English for a writer, but I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be real and authentic it's, to who I am. Yeah. It's, it's how people talk, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the great thing about this book and, and one of the reasons I thought this would be great for uh, church planners in particular is exactly the premise that my train and exactly the premise that, you know, this is real life, man. Jesus is for real life. We hear a lot with, uh, you know, non-believers that they'll say, oh, you know, it's fantasy. It's pie in the sky. And you really come against that in the book and you really say, no, Jesus is for real life. And in knowing you over the years and watching you in your ministry, um, particularly, you know, up at Crossroads and when you were a church planner in the Bay Area, uh, you really have a heart for evangelism. How did your heart for evangelism shape uh, how you wrote this? And how does how does it really shape how you reach people in Crossroads community? Yeah. So, like, for me, um, it shapes everything. And, you know, I, I don't feel like a natural evangelist. Like I, I feel like I do evangelism out of obedience more than out of gifting. Yeah. Um, but what just my upbringing, the fact that like I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 21. And, and except for, you know, uh, two friends who gave their life to Jesus and, and a random professor who challenged me to read the New Testament, like I never heard the gospel. And so, you know, when I, when I came to know Jesus, like it started to dawn on me, like, how did I make it 21 years and I never actually heard the gospel, you know, and then I started looking around and, I, and I'm looking at I, as a young, brand new believer, you know, I have dreads and a beard and I, so I don't look like your normal churchgoer. And I would go into these churches and, I, and like, and the way people reacted to me was like, oh yeah, you, you're like a blemish on our love feast, you know? Yeah. And, and so I started to realize that, you know, the reason Christianity is in decline in America, even though church planning has become very uh, popular in, in the recent decades, is that most church plants are just, you know, you're just shuffling believers, you know, and, and churches are being planted just to kind of be a better version of this other church that used to be cool and isn't cool anymore. And so for me, it was like, well, 
you know, the old story, it's like rather than fishing in the pond, that's already every fish has got nine hooks in their mouth and they've been filleted in 50 different ways. Like, let's just go out deep sea fishing and try and reach lost people, you know? And so, and I think that that message that life is messy, like lost people get that, you know? And, uh, and, and when believers are willing to be authentically messy, you know, lost people know that life is messy because they're experiencing life. And when believers are willing to say, you know, my life is messy too. And, and here's the ways that it's messy, but Jesus is real in the midst of the mess. And when we, then all of a sudden non-believers are like, oh, so they're just like me too, except Jesus. And then because of that authenticity, um, cause oftentimes like our world hates hypocrisy. And when believers want to put on like that kind of shiny, happy church people persona, you know, and then it comes out that, oh yeah, these people are, you know, that they're just like us. They have money problems and they don't get along with each other and all these things. Then it pushes people farther away. But when we're willing to say, you know, listen, life is messy, but Jesus is at work in the midst of the mess and he's leveraging the mess to, to bring beautiful things into the world. And that's the hope of the gospel message is that Jesus didn't, he said in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So he didn't say, listen, I've overcome the world. So, you know, you're going to be, life's going to be, uh, everything you ever wanted to be. Your five-year plan is going to work out perfectly, you know? So, yeah. so for me, it has huge evangelistic, um, implications, uh, and what we find up here, like I'm in Vancouver, Washington, uh, right outside of Portland, Oregon. I mean, you know, statistically people say, oh man, it's, you know, Portland's the most liberal city and every city is hard, you know, but for me, by being real and letting a, and doing the ministry here at Crossroads in a way that is authentically real and we're not afraid to talk about where things are messy and where things aren't going the way we want it to, but God, but Jesus, uh, it just opens up so many doors for us to be able to connect with people that people are, are, aren't trying to connect with right now. Yeah, I, I think that's really powerful, man. The, the fact that you're saying that, you know, being being authentic about the problems in your life, you know, that, hey, we got marriage issues. Hey, you know, I, I, I got days where I find it tough to get motivated. Hey, I got, you know, life sucks sometimes. And in finding that as an evangelistic tool, I think that's a really powerful point. Because I think in the Bible, we see that, right? We see that in, uh, you know, the, where the Bible talks about trial, sure. But particularly in the Old Testament, you know, the, the more poetic books and, um, where, you know, we, we see like the, the poetry of, of the Psalms and yet he's expressing his heart. And I want to ask you something. You're, you're quite a jazz musician and jazz kind of plays a little bit of a theme in, in your book. Um, Go ahead and talk about that a bit. Your your background and 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 how you see jazz as kind of a uh, a bit of a connect between what you're saying. Yeah. So um, it was funny because like as a bass player, I was playing electric bass growing up, playing in rock bands, and then we got into playing you know more, more you know in punk bands, and then got started playing mm-hmm. more um, you know more progressive stuff. You know, as you start getting. Uh, technically more proficient, you want to challenge yourself. So we were playing some, you know, all this music we couldn't play. And I, and I picked up an upright bass in college and I'll never forget it because I had this upright, I saw a guy playing funk music on an upright. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like I want to do that, you know? And so I got one and, and really quickly I'm like, uh Oh, I'm out of my league right now. This is a big, big machine and I don't know how to use it. <laughs> I got to figure this thing out. And I remember I went to a record store or a CD store and I, I talked to the guy in the jazz department cause I knew that in jazz, all the guys played upright and so he gave me three jazz uh, albums i bought them 
And uh, I got my brain blown up. I'd never heard that kind of music. One was a John Coltrane album, a love mm-hmm. Supreme. Another one was Miles Davis kind of blue and Bill Evans Sunday at the village Vanguard. And, um, and so I started learning how to play jazz and this was, you know, before I came to know Jesus. And what was amazing is, is that you start to see how, when you come to know Jesus, how God can leverage everything in your life to, uh, to, to be used in the ministry, to, to, to be a part of the tool belt that he's entrusted you with, uh, in order to get at the things that he wants to do to change the world that you're getting invited into. And so what I realized in talking to people and pastoring people was that one of the biggest reasons that people struggle in life is because they really want their life to be like, like a classical, uh, piece of music or like a worship song where it's, everything is very neat and orderly. Um, there's a first movement, a second movement, a third movement in classical music or in, in, in contemporary worship. There's, you know, there's the intro and there's the verse and then there's the pre-chorus, there's the chorus and there's the second verse, pre-chorus, chorus. Then you go to the bridge and then you go back to the chorus and then you close it out. And, and everyone wants life to be predictable, you know? Um, but the problem is, is everyone has kind of existential angst because no, nothing's predictable, you know? And yeah. so what I realized was that jazz is actually the perfect analogy of that because in jazz, most people, when they hear it, they think it sounds noisy or cacophony or why are they doing it that way? It's dissonant. But what you realize when you learn how to play this music that we call jazz, it's there's a song that's playing underneath all the improvisation that's happening. And there's an interaction that's going on, uh, n- not only in the midst uh, with the song, but amidst, uh, in the midst of the musicians. And what I started to realize was that, uh, you know, life is a lot more like jazz than it's like a, a contemporary worship song. And the key is, is we have to learn how to embrace, um, the mess, embrace the cacophony, embrace mm. the dissonances, but also realize that there's a song playing. And that's why I say life is messy, but Jesus is real. And, and one of the things I get at in the book is that the song of the Lord is a Psalm of love. You know right. what I mean? It's God's love for us. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again. We repent when we when we when we surrender to God's love, you know. And uh, and one of the things that we have to do as pastors and as church planners and as ministers is we need to help people understand kind of the rhythms of God's grace in the midst of all this tension and dissonance and lack of resolution on things. But to be able to see, man, there's a song of love that Jesus, by the Spirit, is uh, is shouting out. And, uh, and our churches should be places that not only embrace that, but also champion um, being helping, helping people to exegete the song that is going on underneath all of the mess. Right. Interesting that you had said earlier that, uh, you know, church planning is messy, just like life. Um, kind of, you know, going back to your days where you're planning in the Bay Area, and I know you planted three churches, what, what, what was the hardest thing for you? As a church planner, uh, so uh, there was a number of things. So yeah, so I planted three churches. I did uh, one in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and then I did one in Mill Valley, California, and then one in uh, in San Francisco, in the in the um, the Marina District, the north end of San Francisco. I, and to, when I look back on that, because now I've been up here at Crossroads for um, about four and a half years, I can't believe it's been that long. And we've sent out a number of church planners. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. Um, but I think the hardest thing, looking back on it, is one, um, the first thing that was the hardest is just dealing with myself, like my own self-management. Uh, we all say that Jesus is our identity and what we do for Jesus isn't our identity, but you know, we, we struggle with getting our identity tied up into all these things. 
you know, and uh, our ideas of what a successful ministry looks like. And so whether it was me kind of feeling like a failure or me wanting to prop up something that wasn't what it really was, but to make it look better. So I felt better about myself. So uh, all that was really real. Like when I talk to church planners now, I love to, I love to talk methodologies and ideas. And there's things that I've, that I've experienced that I like to try and impart to people. But one of the big things I have is like, you know, the biggest issue in your church plan is going to be you, you know, and, and your own, um, struggles and issues. And so my biggest issue obviously was me. And then I think the second issue was also just kind of all of those feelings of unmet expectations, like how messy it really was. You know, and I look back on it, I have such great memories. And, and like when we send church planners out or when I talk to a guy who's planning a church, I always say the same thing. I'm like, man, I just wish I could go with you. You know, because yeah. there's nothing more exhilarating and terrifying and exciting than, you know, leaving everything that's all dialed in and going into the great unknown on an adventure with Jesus, you know? So yeah. when we send guys out, I'm like, I just wish I almost want to put you the pastor crossroads. I'm going to go plant that church, you know? Um, but there's so many unmet expectations along the way, whether it's um, just with people or circumstances and just, you know, again, just how do I navigate, how do we navigate the messiness of what it really is? I, I heard a pastor one time said that, you know, when, and I've repeated it many times that when God calls you to plant a church, he invites you to come and die. Yeah. Like he just wants to kill you. You know what I mean? Like he loves you enough to kill you. And, um, and, uh, and it's dramatic and it's beautiful and it, you know, it's reminiscent of, of course, Bonhoeffer and a lot of other ideas. But I really believe that, that like when you're a church planner, it's like God loves you enough to want to crush you. And, uh, and, and that's, that's not easy when you're going through that. Yeah. Daniel, let me ask you a question about, uh, the music side of things. I mean, I personally, I would loved hearing that, that you play the upright bass. Cause to me, that's like one of the greatest instruments. What I'm kind of curious to know is how has this affected the music in your church? Or do you guys do the same typical praise music that you hear at pretty much every contemporary church today? You know, it, um, I mean, we do the, we do a lot of the standard songs because we want people who are not part of our community to be able to, um, to be able to sing along and be a part of that. And so we're really, you know, so we do a lot of the standard tunes, but I mean, here at Crosses, we write a lot of music. Um, we, um, we have lots of kind of improvised parts of our worship where it's like, we'll have a song that we'll be doing. And if, and if the worship leader wants to break into another chorus, like we have a, we'll just go there as a band. Now I don't play every Sunday, so not everyone has the same um, kind of uh, musical background, but our music, uh, our creative arts uh, pastor, he also has a background in jazz as well. And so, um, and we have a studio at our church, so we, you know, and like a really nice one. Um, and so we do a lot of recording, a lot of writing music and, you know, we're willing in our writing to, um, to try some more kind of dissonant stuff that, um, that you maybe wouldn't normally hear in a, in a congregational worship tune. I think on the other side of it, we also differentiate here between, uh, worship that is congregational and then, uh, Christian art that is, um, it's not gospel. It's not overtly gospel, uh, like on a billboard, and we like to use music as a bridge. Like right now we have some of our worship leaders, but they're actually putting a band together with some of our musicians who are going to be um, going into local bars 
and playing not, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high or, you know, one of the newest Hillsong tunes or whatever, but playing a crossover metal, you know, but they're there as missionaries. And so because of my background and that, and, I, and as a church planner, like I, I, one of my ways of making a living was playing gigs. And so, um, I would be in bars and restaurants and all these things. And so, um, so I have a heart for that. And I, and I think music is such a powerful medium that, um, that we want to try and leverage it in every way possible to reach people for, with Jesus. And, and so those are some of the ways that it all plays in. And we do some stuff where people will come in and we'll be, we'll rearrange uh, worship tunes and we'd go up there and we'd have like a jazz quartet up there. That's cool, man. And, and what's really cool is I love hearing kind of like the church planner heart in you leading a, a bigger church and being a sender. What are some of the, you mentioned that you've sent people out. Tell us what's going on at Crossroads, you know, what what's going on in church planning. And then if you could, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what your experience as a serial church planner has brought to your leadership there at Crossroads, which is a, a fairly large church. Yeah. So, so I think, to take the, the last question first, um, what I realized, so Crossroads was a church planned in 1975. I mean, it was a thousand people at the end of the first year, like kind of your first generation mega church, you know, and kind of the, the, the tip of the spear of evangelicalism in Clark County, Washington, just over the Columbia River from Portland. And then over time, you know, our founding pastor, I mean, God used him in powerful ways, but when I came up, I didn't quite understand why God was asking me to come here and why Bill Ritchie was inviting me. You know, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I've been doing church planning. And what I realized was that in a really large church, it's like, it was ready to light up again. It just needed a spark, you know, it just needed a little spark plug. And in a lot of ways, that's what a church planner is. It's like, it's a spark plug for the, for the fire of God's kingdom. And so what I realized was I came up and, and I just needed to remind everybody as a church planner, because like when you're planning a church, you have to be evangel, you have to focus on outreach and evangelism or else you're just going to preach the Bible to your, to your wife and your kids, you know? So you have to like reach lost people. And so I just came up and I was able to say, look, this church is amazing. It's got history. You know, it's a very large church, you know? Um, but there's way more people out there than there are in here. And we exist to go reach them for Jesus. You know, and so for me, I just, that church planner mentality, like we just turned every ministry outward. We, we went through the hard times of, of inviting people with their small groups to leave campus because they've been on our campus for 20 years, you know, and, and, and not just telling that they needed to leave the what, but telling them why, because you need to reproduce yourself spiritually. And by sitting on our campus, you know, you're getting built up, but now we're, we're over the getting built up part. We're just getting kind of spiritually flabby, you know? And so I came in with that kind of a mentality. And I think so much of what God has done, because I mean, Crossroads has grown just tr- in extraordinary ways. I mean, our transition was unique in that we, we only grew through transition and just growing like gangbusters because everything is pushing outward, you know? And, and it's like, I never owned a building as a church planter. You know, so it was always, yeah, we're going to do this thing in the park. Hey, we're going to do this thing over here. And so I had all these ways of, you know, plus we didn't have any money to do things as a church planner. So it's like, we're going to do all these things in all these unique environments and we're going to meet people. And so when you take that same mentality into a very large church, you know, all of a sudden it's like, now it's not, hey, it's me and 30 people trying to do this. Now it's like, man, there's me and thousands of people who are doing this. 
And so, so that's been really super exciting. That kind of that apostolic entrepreneurial church planner thing in a very large church context, it, it's unreal because you have the, the resources of people and who, who just want to do it with you. And so uh, I'm always telling church planners, I'm like, look, if you can become a part of a really large church, well, they'll give you some latitude to be apostolic. You know, you can do a lot. And so, um, so that's been my experience where now I see I'm like, wow. And so for us, because I'm a church planter, um, right away, I just told all our staff, I'm like, we're going to grow God's kingdom. And if we grow God's kingdom, Crossroads is going to be just fine. So unlike a lot of really large churches, if, if someone on staff says, Hey, um, I want to go plant a church, you know, the old story that the mega church pastor just fires them. Like the youth pastor wants to plant a church, tells the pastor, pastor fires them. So I do the opposite of that. So when someone comes on my, on our staff, especially our pastoral staff, and they say, I believe I want to plant a church, then we pray about it. And if we believe God is confirming that, then we bring them before the congregation. We tell everybody what we're doing. We invite uh, people to go and join them and be part of their launch team. And so, uh, and so it's a completely different kind of a thing that we're trying to do. And so, um, so we planted two churches officially and uh, one church, I didn't really believe the guy should have gone, but he went anyway. So, um, but I didn't stand in his way. I just didn't think, I didn't think he was ready to take that step. So I couldn't get behind him in the same way because as a church planner, I know that seven out of eight church plants fail. So I always tell people like, I'll send you if I believe you're ready. And if you're not ready, we'll build you up so that you can be ready. Mm. You know what I mean? And so like, I, I, I don't want to make the mistake of not sending our best. You know, I think that's a principle that God has in his word that I want to honor. So, so for me, it's about everyone's in process. And so if someone's ready, I'll send them. If someone isn't ready, we'll, we'll do what we have to do to get them ready. You know, mm-hmm. so now what we're doing here at Crossroads, so we've sent out two official church plants, one in our community and one to another state and, and one unofficial one, which happened in our community as well. So I didn't stand by, I didn't stand against it. I just told him, like, I can't get behind this the way that I would normally, because I don't think you're ready, you know? And so, um, so now what we're doing is we're going to start launching campuses as well as church plants. So like, I'm not, I always say that I don't ever want to, a false dichotomy is false, so I'm not going to buy it. You know, I'm just going to do both. So like we'll plant autonomous churches in our community and we'll do campuses and we'll start, uh, we're going to, our next, our campus that we're expecting to launch is going to be, uh, next year, 2017 will be our first campus that we'll be launching. We also developed a pastoral apprentice track for people who are serving in our ministry who have pastoral giftings, where we'll be able to take them on staff and be able to disciple them from a staff position with the idea that these will be church planters or campus pastors, future pastors. And so that's something that's going on. And another thing I'm really excited about is the ways we're starting to dream about how we can do church planning via our internet campus. Um, Like for us, we have on a Sunday when we, um, when we, when for on our internet campus, we have about 3000 people who are watching our services live and about 85% of them are local to us. So it's part of our congregation who aren't at our, at our building, you know? Um, but we're also having, we have pockets of people now who are gathering together and because they live in an area where there's not a church like ours or whatever. And so now we're starting to figure out how do we leverage that to see churches get planted as part of our network, not it doesn't have to be like a, a, a can like I don't care about being on a video. I think it's kind of, so I'd rather raise up preachers than have me on a video, 
But in the interim step, it's we're dreaming through what does it look like to launch what could potentially be hundreds of churches. And we help facilitate that and raise people up as they're gathering groups of people together or doing it in a house church setting. So those are all different things that we have going on right now. That's awesome. Well, hey, Daniel, one of the uh, the final questions that we always like to ask on this podcast, in fact, it's the one question that everyone sticks around for just so they can wait and hear, is, uh, is this. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Brian Broderson, who would win? <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 well, so, so here's the thing. So well, most people don't know that Brian Broderson is a bass player. So bass what? players don't fight with one another. They just give each other gigs. <laughs> He's a bass player? He's a bass player. You no could ask way. him. It's awesome. Ask him. He's a bass. So, so yeah. So bass player, we don't fight with each other. We just give each other work. That's how that works. That is hilarious. So my my brother's a bass player, and yeah. he gets banished into the basement, and he 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 hooks his headphones in, and he does this when he travels too. He goes to hotels and he just parties all night on his bass. You know, puts his headphones in and boom, 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 boom. So that's cool, man. I did not know Broderson was a bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. So you know, so yeah, we wouldn't be fighting. We'd just be, you know. We'd, we'd both be on different gigs. There's an old story bass players tell that a kid gets a bass and he's taking the bass and his dad says, hey, you know, where are you going with the bass? He's like, I got a lesson. He's like, okay, have a good lesson, son. And then the next day he's got his bass and dad's like, hey, you going for a lesson? He's like, no, I got a gig. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to be the bass player. You know? <laughs> so bass players barely see each other. And we're always working, you know. I dig it, man. I dig it. That's so, a great, uh, I didn't know that that was the, the the most exciting question of the thing, but I kind of like it. Yeah, of, we ask it every time. You know, we've had uh, not, not always Brian Borderson. I mean, we no. we try. To match there's, people. there's always somebody, right? Always yeah. somebody. So I think we. I can't remember who we made fight Billy Graham. Oh, it was Don Overstreet. <laughs> yeah, but we did give him the option. I think it was like uh, Billy Graham 1975 or something like that. Like yeah. we had here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had, uh, you know, when we get guys like Hugh Halter, or Michael Frost, you know, we make them fight Derwin Gray, you know, nice. cause, you know uh, who's going to fight who, Derwin Gray, who did right? Who we have fight uh, Philip Yancey? Who did we have him fight? Oh, that was funny. I can't remember who he fought. Um, we've had other people fight Philip since we've had him on, though. So, yeah. you know, everybody's kind of equally matched. But, uh, you know, normally the church planners, you know, they, they like to talk a little smack. So, and that's cool because Broderson, Broderson's been on here and I can't remember who we had him fight. It might have been Chuck. I can't remember, but oh, it might have so. been Chuck circa 1975 as well. But, uh, but anyways, hey man. I love Brian too. So he'll probably get a kick out of it. I, I know that. you guys are tight. He will. And here's the deal. Uh, guys, this has been Daniel Fusco on the show. We want to thank you, Daniel, for coming on. If you guys want to grab his book, it's out from Nav Press. It came out this past year. It's called Honestly. And the other thing you might want to do is check out, uh, Pastor Daniel's teaching at danielfusco.com. And if you're on the old Facebook, he does fantastic two-minute devotionals every morning. They're dynamite. Check them out. Hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planting, and sign us out, Arnold. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. 
If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.